is more than the policeman on the corner, more than the courthouse where our laws are enforced, more than the jail where lawbreakers are punished. In your whole community, there are customs and moral codes which guide your actions. What social controls affect you? So when somebody puts a chair in the snow, they are making an argument that my labor is worth something. This is Life of the Law. I'm Dave Goodman. The online Urban Dictionary defines dibs as the act of expressing priority over something, staking claim. It also cites dibs as the most powerful force in the universe, used to call possession of a certain object or idea. And he was there first, so he has dibs. You respect dibs, don't you? I'm not a barbarian. Good. You might have heard the cry dibs when your brother or sister grabbed the last donut out of the box. You know, the one they claimed had their name on it. When Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin planted the American flag on the moon, that was one big national dib. And in my town of Boston, after a snowstorm, you would think the concept of dibs is just as monumental. Maybe four hours digging out, placing snow in a certain pile so that they could put a car there. I mean, it's time consuming, especially in a city where you may have to carry a shovel full of snow 20 feet to put it somewhere else out of your space. The custom here is that after you shovel out your car and pull out, you get to save that space with something. Furniture, trash cans. One family even used a bust of Elvis Presley's head. Yes, it's a public street, but these dibs are your way of saying, no one else gets to park here. It may seem like a little thing, but parking is scarce in Boston. And Professor Susan Sibley, who heads up the anthropology department at MIT, says there's a bigger argument going on behind the practice of dibs. They spend several hours shoveling out a parking spot to get their car out from the snow. And when they come back from work where they have been paid for their sweat, they want a place to put their car and they believe that they have worked, and it is theirs for at least until the snow disappears. And when they do that, when they make this claim with a space saver, a chair, a plant, a statue, they're announcing a moral-slash-ethical historic principle. I worked, therefore it's mine. It didn't feel very moral and ethical when it was me driving around looking for parking. (laughs) After all, these are public streets, presumably available to all. But about a week after a blizzard hit New England, in the neighborhood of South Boston, it was nearly impossible to find a spot that didn't have a chair or another obstacle in the way. And even when I discovered an empty, shoveled-out space, it was too intimidating to park there. I've lived in Boston long enough to know that otherwise innocent drivers can suffer for breaking the unwritten rules of dibs. You know, when people dig out their spots, they want to be able to keep them. You know, to be able to have a designated spot to park in, it'd be nice. 
when the city says you have to get your car off the street for snowstorms, they don't give people places to put them. David Carmichael, his wife Michelle, and their four-year-old son live in Boston's Mattapan neighborhood. Cars line both sides of their street. When I visited their home recently, in the evening after work, I was glad I had left my car at home and taken the bus. Michelle Carmichael says neighbors on her block are protective of each other. But when it comes to parking, sometimes it's retaliate first, ask questions later. We had a neighbor who had her tires slashed. You know, um, she, you know, had a space. Someone took it. She parked in another space. She didn't, you know, someone called dibs on that space. She wasn't the person that actually removed the, the objects. Someone else who didn't live on the street, who just popped by for a quick second, moved them. They actually tossed them aside uh, in the bushes and, you know, someone slashed her tires. So isn't that an argument for not calling dibs on spaces? Because somebody's, like it. somebody's driving around, they don't know how many drivers before them got there and moved the chair or moved the, the trash bucket. They just, they're just looking for a place to park and they don't want to waste all their gas driving around. Yeah, but see, the thing is that God didn't make those spots. People know that when a spot is dug out, it's someone's spot. Now, by saying there is no dibs, that gives people the right to say, oh, well, there's a spot, there's no dibs, I'm, I'm gonna park there, and then people get upset. If it, the way it was before, everybody knew if you dug out a spot, that was your spot. Now the way the mayor has it, everything's up in the air, and people feel, well, I, I'll, I'll park there. And then the people who have been in the city for 100 years knows when you dig out a spot, that spot is yours forever. In the winter of 2004, Boston's mayor, Tom Menino, decided to take on dibs. He told public works crews to start collecting the furniture and other markers as trash. In a press release, Menino said, Streets in Boston belong to the people. I respect the tradition of reserving shoveled spaces, but enough is enough. The result was an uproar. The late city councilor, Jim Kelly of South Boston, made national news with his efforts to fight the mayor and preserve the right to dibs. So finally, the city compromised. Boston now allows dibs on parking spaces during official snow emergencies and up to 48 hours once the emergency is declared over. Police say at least a dozen cars were vandalized across the city, and some of the damage was pretty severe. This street, one neighbor went so far as to actually pour an entire can of paint on top of a car that had parked in a spot they had shoveled out. Boston police announcing tonight cases of vandalism like that all over the city. All these space savers, by the way, are supposed to have been gone by 6 o'clock this evening. This isn't just about Boston where traffic laws sometimes seem more like suggestions to the locals. Dibs happen in other northern cities every winter. Chicago's former mayor, Richard Daley, once said he'd never challenged the practice. But some Chicagoans have declared, like Boston's mayor, enough is enough. Andrew Kasperzicki started Chair Free Chicago with some other colleagues at an ad agency in 2010. They say dibs is selfish behavior, plain and simple, and it turns neighbors against one another. The group offers downloads of signs and flyers for neighbors who want to discourage the practice, and they help you pick just the right tone to do that. You know, you have four levels to choose from where, uh, you know, you have, uh, depending on how mad you are about, about the whole dibs thing, you can start with Minneapolis mad, like, 
you know, people in Minneapolis are pretty darn nice, too. It starts with, golly, thanks. Hey there, neighbor, I see you shoveled out a parking spot on the street there. And then it just goes through and talks a little bit about, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of not, not what we do here because we're nice to each other. And then it goes all the way to from, from Minneapolis mad to Chicago mad to New York mad. New York mad says, okay, enough. Yes, you shoveled out your parking space after the last snowstorm. La-dee-friggin-da. That doesn't mean the space is permanently yours. And then it has a slight expletive. And then uh, it goes all the way to Craigslist mad which just has, it has a sign that you can, you can put on thing that just says, free, please take me home, I'm all yours. Because after all, you know, at the end of the day, people are leaving furniture on the street. I think they probably want people clearly to just take it home with them. Ooh, baby, don't say no. What I find most interesting about it is the contestation that this is a practice that excites, animates public discourse. That's MIT professor Susan Sibley again. In a 2007 article in the Journal of Comparative Law, Sibley drew parallels between dibs and the philosophy of property rights that underscore our economy. It's given her some perspective on our snowbound frustrations. It's as if we're back in ancient Greece, citizens having a walk around the Agora with Socrates, arguing about what is justice. That's what's going on here. You read the signs on some of these, they're making arguments about what is fair and what is just. And when you read the blogs online, this is the citizens engaged in politics. In fact, if you look at this, this is more, to me sometimes, more exciting and engaged than unfortunately what goes on in our political campaigns. This is truly what politics is about. If politics is, as political scientists and philosophers and social scientists have understood for centuries, that politics is the discussion about how we live together. And so when somebody puts a chair in the snow, they are making an argument that my labor is worth something for a limited time because nature has come and disturbed our public life. We have decided that we will allocate public space with meters, with permits, and we've all agreed through the traditional political process that this is how we will organize our shared physical space. But here comes the weather, and it disturbs our lovely plan. And the best thing to get our plan back on track? Spring. When lawn chairs can finally go back where they belong in cities, on the sidewalk. For Life of the Law, I'm Dave Goodman in Boston, Massachusetts. Beneath this snowy mantle, cold and clean, the unborn grass lies waiting for its cold to turn to Life of the Law is produced by Nancy Mullane, Shannon Heffernan, Julia Barton, and Caitlin Prest. Music by Alex Martin, Kyle Kaplan, Matthew Daher, and Todd McDonald. Our web editor is Mary Atkins. Financial support comes from the Open Society Foundation, with special thanks to Thomas Hilbink. For more on this story and other stories about the law and the legal system, visit our website, at lifeofthelaw.org.
And take the snow back with you where it came from on that day Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American, married to a Colombian Mexican American, and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvadoran pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America.